Hello, and thank you for listening to this message from River of Life Church. If you enjoy this message, we want to encourage you to share it with a family member or a friend. Also, visit River of Life this Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Crawfordville. For service times and directions, visit rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Now, let's join special guest Bill Jenkins as he teaches from the Word of God. I'm honored and privileged to stand in this pulpit. I thank Brother Henry for this opportunity, as well as Brother Chuck and the rest of the ministerial staff here. And I praise God for them and thank God for the wonderful people he has placed in our life. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter number 10 that God was able to give Saul a new heart. He's done the same thing for me. And I, uh, I've had the privilege of uh, preaching two funerals and a wedding last night, getting ready for this morning. So uh, I think we're going to be all right. Amen. If you've got your Bible, please take it and turn with me to the New Testament book of Luke, the 13th chapter of the New Testament book of Luke. And I want us to look at some scripture today. God never promised he'd bless anything I said, but he did promise to bless his word. And so today we're going to be looking at the word of God and I'm going to be bringing you a message. I pray that you'll give me your attention. I pray that Satan would not be able to distract you. I believe that this message that God has placed upon my heart is a message for every person in this building, regardless of who you are. God has got a word for you today. Now, if you've got your Bible open or if perhaps you want to turn your Bible on, we'll look at Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse number one. The Bible says here, and there were present at that season... Some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And then again in verse number four, the Bible says, Are those 18 upon whom the tower and Siloam fell and slew them? Jesus Christ is speaking about tragedies. Two particular tragedies that had happened at that moment, they were physical tragedies. There was a group of men that had gotten together to worship the Lord. And they were Galileans. And they had met there. And they were cutting the throats of their sacrifice. And letting the blood be poured out. And suddenly, Pilate's soldiers, the Roman soldiers, came upon them and slaughtered them. And their blood ran out and mixed with the blood of their sacrifice. And then there was a tower down in Siloam. And we're not told if the foundation was faulty. We're not told if it was the uh, building materials that were not the proper uh, building materials. All we are told that was that in the construction of that tower, that tower collapsed. And when it did, 18 people lost their lives. Tragedy. Physical tragedy. In the world in which you and I live today, we are not strangers to physical tragedies. In fact, if I can be so bold, I would say that we are perhaps tragedy hardened. What do you mean, preacher? I mean that it is possible for us to be watching the evening news 
and to hear about an earthquake in South America where over 600 people have disappeared, their homes have been ruined, and as we watch the news, we say, oh, that's terrible, and we never miss a bite of supper. Physical tragedies. But I want you to look back at Luke, if you don't mind, for just a moment. And notice in this passage of Scripture that as Jesus Christ spoke to these physical tragedies, he elevated the bar. And he said, yes, physical tragedies are real. And and the results of those tragedies are are, are life-altering. But then he says, there are some spiritual tragedies. And even though a physical tragedy will have an immediate consequence, spiritual tragedies have eternal consequences. Notice what he says again in Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse number 1 again. He says, there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, listen... Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffer such things. And sometimes we do that, don't we? We hear of a tragedy happening to a family or to an individual. And somewhere in the back of our mind, we hear this this accusation. I wonder what they did. I wonder why God's mad at them. I wonder why God is punishing them. Jesus said no. Verse number three. I tell you nay. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Again, in verse number four, he says, of those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Think you that they were sinners above all that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, nay. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Two times in five verses, Jesus makes the same statement, elevating the conversation from the physical realm to the spiritual realm. And his message was clear to those who would listen. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. I want to share with you four spiritual tragedies this morning, two of which I will just mention, all right? Usually in my meetings when I preach a message similar to this, it's about an hour and a half. And I know. So I'll just mention two and quickly move to the last two. The first one I would mention to you is this. And I would, I would simply call it a national tragedy. It is a spiritual tragedy when countries forget God. Your Bible says, Psalms 9, 17, the wicked are turned into hell and all nations that forget God. In my opinion, America had better be careful. You look at the Old Testament and you see this story of the Israelites. These are God's chosen people. These are God's blessed people. When he brought them, they were slaves in Egypt, but he brought them to a land flowing with milk and honey and he blessed them and they drove out those inhabitants. They weren't soldiers. They weren't trained warriors. They were simply the people of God and God blessed them. But they turned from God. 
And they started doing the vile, wicked things that the people had done that was in the land before them. They even got so vile and wicked that they were sacrificing their children to false gods. And so God looked at Israel and said, I'll bless you no more. I will cause you, my chosen people, to go into captivity. And the world will say, God has no people anymore. And it happened. And Israel fell. Someone has written that if you do not learn from history, you are doomed to repeat it. America needs to learn. National tragedy. When a nation forgets God. Secondly, I told you I was just going to mention them. It is spiritual tragedy when churches die. You got scripture for that preacher? Yeah. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 1. The Bible says, The angel of the church and unto the angel of the church of Sardis, right? These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, what? And art dead. Here is a church. That had been founded. Here's a church that had a reputation. Here's a church that had done something in the past. And got satisfied. And now they had died. How did it happen? Revelation 2 verse 4. The word of God makes this statement. Nevertheless I have somewhat against thee. Why? Because thou hast left Thy first love. How is it that a church birthed on the truth of God's word. Filled with the spirit of God. Worshiping and praising the one true living God. How is it possible that that church could die? Very simple. Very simple. They quit loving the Lord. Now I want to tell you that I love river of life. I mean, you can't be around me very long until I start telling you about the great church that I have the privilege of attending. And I love my pastor. I I will defend him. Don't ever come to me and try to talk to me about something negative about Henry Jones. I will punch you in your nose. (laughs) He's my pastor. But dear friend, when I compare the love that I have for this church... And the love that I have for my pastor to the love that I should have for the Lord Jesus Christ. The love that I have for this church and the love that I have for my pastor should pale into insignificance. When compared to the love that I have for the Lord. Churches die because they stop loving the Lord. If you read your Bible, you'll realize in Revelation chapter number 3, there is a church there called the church of the Laodiceans. And God spoke to this church in Revelation 3 and 14. He says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. 
And I would that thou were either cold or hot. And because thou art neither, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest. Listen, the church said this about themselves. I am rich. I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee, church. Buy of me gold tried in the power, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I'll come in and sup with him, and he with me. Can I share with you quickly? Three things that happens in a dead church. The first thing, according to the scripture, dead churches are indifferent. They're neither hot nor cold. Oh, they're not, they're not out here like that in the world, but they're not for God either. And so they meet week after week after week, and they sit on those hard pews, and they listen to some old fat, bald-headed preacher. And they go out, and their life is not changed. And they're lukewarm. Secondly, they're self-deceived. The holy God looked at this church and he said, Thou sayest that we're rich, we're increased with goods, we have need of nothing. And you don't even realize that the greatest need you have is the presence of God. And thirdly, the church was Christless. How many times in revival meetings across this country you've heard Revelation 3.20 quoted. Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. And we've said that speaking to lost people. But dear friend, that verse was not written to lost people. It was written to a church that had got so involved with itself and so self-deceived and so self-satisfied that they had moved Christ out the door. And now he stands on the outside of the church knocking on the door saying, if you'll just open the door, I'll come in and I'll fellowship with you. God deliver us from ever getting to the place that we think we've arrived. God deliver us from comparing our church to any other church. God deliver us from ever getting to the point that we think we can do it without him. Just mentioning it now. Going quickly to the third tragedy. And it is the tragedy, the spiritual tragedy of when a Christian yields to the temptation to sin. Now, I knew I was going to need some help this morning being in such a weak condition. And so I've asked some folks to come help me preach a little bit this morning. Guys, would y'all come up on stage? Come up on this side if you don't mind. I want to bring up a scripture while they're coming. It's found in the book of James. James chapter number 1. I want you to read this with me, please. Let's, let's begin, if you will, sister, in verse 12. That's okay. That's okay. Modern technology, we can change anything in a second. Just give us a second. James chapter 1, verse number 12. 
Y'all doing good over there? I need all of you to make my circle. And I need Molly in the middle, please. James chapter 1, verse number 12. I'll read it to you. The Bible says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. We don't think of it that way. We don't understand that the trial of God is going to come to every born-again child of God. In fact, your Bible says in 1 Peter chapter number 1 that the trial of our faith is precious to God. In 1 Peter chapter number 4, Peter wrote and said, Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to beset you as though some strange thing has happened unto you. Every born-again child of God is going to be placed in the crucible. They are going to be tempted. And the word of God says in verse number 14, but every man is tempted. Wait a minute. Hold on. Not you. God didn't mean you. This is a mistake in the word of God. Surely you're not going to be tempted. Oh, no. You, you've reached the, the status of statehood, sainthood. Nothing could tempt you. And yet the scripture says, every man and every woman that's a born again child of God is going to be tempted. Now listen to what he says. Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Sin when it's finished, bringeth forth death. Do not heir who my beloved brother who's he talking to the church now they say a picture is worth a thousand words so i want to illustrate this truth we're going to leave james chapter one up there for a moment as you see molly molly wave at everybody molly is in the center of god's will those young people that are surrounding her, they are symbolic of the protection of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and, and I'm going to do what my wife says I do the best. I'm going to play the devil. <laughs> and as long as Molly's in the center of God's will, I can't get to her. I try and I, I, I can't reach her. The Holy Spirit of God is stilling her. Ephesians 5, verse number 18. According to John 16, she's being guided by the Holy Spirit. But listen to what the scripture says. Every man is enticed. Satan is not going to tempt you with the ugly, the lewd, the vile, the wicked. Oh, he paints such a beautiful picture he always pays off with fool's gold and paste pearls. And so he entices and he draws the child of God slowly, one step at a time, one step at a time, until she's further and further from the center of God's will. And the things that once appalled her, the things that once caused her to say, I'll never do that are now acceptable to her. And she's become very compassionate toward those who do not walk with the Lord. And the word of God says, as Satan leads her further and further from the perfect will of God, she is enticed, she is led away of her own lust. And by the way, Satan knows exactly where your mule is tied. 
He knows exactly what it's going to take. What it takes to lust. Tells me to lust. Probably wouldn't affect you. But he knows. And he entices you. And you're led away. And look what the scripture says. And then when lust hath conceived. And you've left the center of God's will. And you're out here. Then lust brings forth sin. And you are now involved in stuff. That you used to say I'd never do that. You're involved in things that you used to abhor. And then the Bible says in lust. When it is conceived. It brings forth death. And the child of God. That could have been a shining example. Walking in the center of God's will. Dies. You said, Brother Bill, I just don't believe God do that. Then read 1 John chapter number 5. Where the word of God says, there is a sin unto death. I pray that not any should pray for it. Or perhaps Hebrews chapter number 10. Where the word of God says that all of us endure chastisement. Because if we don't, then we're not really the children of God. Give my helpers a hand, if you will. Guys, thank you all so much. I want to illustrate this a little bit better if I can, because this is such a tremendous point. Christians who yield to the, the enticement of Satan and are lured away, that is a spiritual consequence. But listen, it doesn't end when the sin is committed. It has ramifications as one throwing a rock into a pool of water and the ripples going out. Spiritual tragedies have eternal consequences. And I want to illustrate this by going to the Old Testament book of 2 Samuel chapter number 11. In 2 Samuel chapter number 11, you have King David. Now in 2 Samuel chapter number 9, he is the most magnanimous man in all of Israel. He has sought out someone in the family of Saul that he might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. And in the process, he's found out that there's no cripple boy named Mephibosheth. And he's living up in Lodibar. And David sins and brings him from Lodibar, the land of no pasture. And he brings him to the castle. And he puts him at his table. And he sits there with the king's son. And from that point on, Mephibosheth is treated like the king's son. And all the people go, whoa! What a king we've got. But in 2 Samuel chapter number 1. Excuse me, chapter 11. In verse number 1. The Bible says, and it came to pass. At a time when kings go forth to battle. David sent Joab. Verse number 2. And it came to pass in the evening time that David arose from off his bed. That sucker's been in bed all day long. He walks upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look, look, look at. And a literal translation was, Wow! Where has this girl been all my life? And he inquires about her. And he said, who is this beautiful woman? And someone said, well, now wait a minute, King, that's Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba. She's the daughter of a, of a priest. 
But sin had already enticed him. And being led away with his sin, he sent and he took Bathsheba. And she came to the king and he lay with her. And we don't know how much time transpires between verse number 4 and 5. All we know is that in verse number 5, King David's sin is exposed. She sent him a message. And she said, King David, we got a problem. I'm pregnant. My husband has been at war with Joab the whole time. We got a problem. David got lazy. At a time when kings go forth to battle, David stayed home. When, when you get lazy from doing the things God wants you to do, Satan always gives you something to look at. And it'll be beautiful. And it'll entice you according to James chapter 1. And it'll lead you astray. And then number three, you'll long for it. Number four, you will lust after it. And eventually, and it always happens, you will lose. David, he's got to do something. Rather than falling on his face and crying out in repentance to God, he sends for Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. He brings, her, he brings him to the, 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 the castle or the palace or whatever. And, and he asked him, he said, how goes the battle? And, and Uriah gives him the report. And David tries his best to get him drunk. And, and he said, now go home and lay with your wife. And David is thinking, if he goes home and lays with his wife, then he'll know that he was the daddy and not me. Oh, what a wicked plan we weave when at first we do deceive. But Uriah doesn't go home. He lays in the doorstep all night long. And in the morning, the servants of David come. By the way, the servants of David know what David has done. And they were the ones that were sent to get her in the first place. And so King David said, I got to do something. And so he, he tries harder to get him drunk. He said, now you go home and you lay with your wife. And again, Uriah, he would not do that. He was more honorable than King David. And so King David writes a note to Joab and he seals it with his seal and he hands it to Uriah and he said Uriah you take this to Joab and Uriah carried his own death sentence to Joab and the note said when the fighting really gets hot you put Uriah and his men at the forefront and then you pull back and you let him get killed. This is David. This is a man that the Bible calls a man after God's own heart. But he's been enticed. He's been led away. And lust, when it's conceived, brings forth sin. Oh, David's such a wonderful guy, isn't he? After Uriah dies, he has such, such, such compassion on Uriah's widow that after the time of mourning, he sends and he brings Bathsheba to the palace. And now she is the wife of David. But God had an old man out there, a fellow by the name of Nathan. I can see Nathan. In my mind, I picture Nathan. He's about six foot two. He's real bony. 
you know, uh, got a beard, long hair. And he comes, and, and David knows him to be the man of God. But David doesn't know that God has already told the man of God about his sin. <laughs> And so Nathan gives this story. He said, there's a rich man. He's got a whole, I mean, he just has a flock full of sheep. And there's this guy over here. He's only got one little sheep. And it's like a child to him. He treats it like one of his daughters. And the rich man had some people come by to visit. And rather than killing one of his sheep, he goes over and he takes the one and only sheep of this poor man. And he kills it and he feeds his visitors. (laughs) And King David is filled with judgment how quickly we become judgmental of other people when we have secret sin in our own life and david cries out the man who hath done this will repay fourfold and you see the bony finger of the prophet of god as he sticks it in the face of king david the man after god's own heart and he said david You are the man. And King David repents. And the baby is born. David had said a fourfold harvest would be needed. And in just a few days, the baby dies. And harvest number one is in the barn. Not long after that, David has a son by the name of Abnon. He is heir apparent to the throne. He's going to be the next king over Israel. But he sees his half-sister, Tamar. And just as David lusted after Bathsheba, Amnon lusts after Tamar. And his friend, Jonadab, devises a plan. And they come together and Amnon rapes his half-sister. And then despises her and cast her out. And David's second harvest is in the barn. And Absalom now, Tamar's full brother, lays a plan. And when the time is right, he invites all of the king's sons down to his house for a feast. And when Amnon is there and he's well drunk with wine... Absalom commands his servants and they fall upon Amnon, the king's son, and they kill him. And the third harvest is in the barn. David said four. You remember? The man that hath done this will repay fourfold. Amnon comes to power. So much power that he's able to drive David and his men out of the city of David. And he is going to be the king. And he's riding upon his little donkey. And he has such long bushy hair. This is the reason I always cut mine so close. (laughs) He's riding under a tree. And his hair gets caught in the branches. And and the mule walks on. And Absalom can't get down. And he, he can't get loose. And someone tells Joab, the commander of David's army. And David goes, excuse me, Joab goes with javelins. And he throws them through the heart of Absalom as he's hanging in the tree. And the fourth harvest is in the barn. And so we ask the question. It's got to be asked. 
David, was it worth it? Was one night with Bathsheba worth the baby dying? Worth Tamar being raped? Worth Amnon being killed? Worth Absalom being killed? David, a man after God's own heart, you, you, you were enticed, you were led away, and sin conceived and brought forth death. Was it worth it? Are you listening to me, child of God? He's not the only one in your Bible. The Word of God talks about many others that are there. People like Achan, who, who for a, just a, a Babylonian garment, uh, he, he, he caused his, all of his family to be killed. There are others like Lot, who chose the well-watered plain of Sodom, Sodom over his daughters. Cattle was worth more than his own children. Prophet was worth more than his wife. And then there's Eli, listen, who spoiled his sons to the extent that he elevated them to where he loved his sons more than he loved God. And because of that, Thinus and Hopni both were killed in one day. And there's so many others in the Word of God. It's a scripture you don't hear a lot preached on. Say amen right there. Numbers 32, 23. Your Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. The word of God said, he that covereth his sin in the book of Proverbs shall not prosper. Be sure. Listen, Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. I always run into these people. They say, I don't like the Old Testament. I live in the New Testament. Well, I'm glad you do. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. The Bible says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. And if he sows to the flesh, he shall of the flesh. One translation says corruption. One says destruction. They're the same. Sin, when it is conceived, brings forth death. The writer of Proverbs asked a question. He said, can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes be not burned? I've preached this message 10,000 times in the last two weeks. God laid it upon my heart before Henry ever even called and asked me to fill the pulpit. I've worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And I brought it as best I can this morning to you for a reason. Some of you. Some of you are being enticed. You used to walk in fellowship with God. You walked close to God. Your prayer life was magnificent. Your daily Bible, you couldn't wait to get up in the morning and read God's word. But step by step, you have been lured away from the things of God. And now, now you're looking at other people's sin. And they're not as, as atrocious to you as they once were. They're not as vile and wicked as they used to be to you. And now you become accepting of many of the things you used to hate. And step by step, you're being enticed. And you're led away from God. There's a fourth spiritual tragedy. And I mentioned this hurriedly this morning. You will find it. Throughout the entirety of the New Testament. It is the spiritual disaster or tragedy. With eternal consequences. Jesus asked the question in John chapter number 8. Why will a man 
die in his sin. After all that God has done to keep men from dying in their sin, sending his son to die upon the cross, resurrecting him in power and authority, sending the Holy Spirit to draw, John 6, 44, and manifesting the love of God toward you. And that he says, if any man will come unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. The book of Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, I'll wash you whiter than wool. First John chapter number 9, the Bible says, if we confess our sin, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us. Of all unrighteousness. First John 1 John 1.7. The word of God said. It is the blood of Jesus. That cleanses us from all our sin. There is a trilogy in the New Testament. A young man's mentioned. I believe it's the same young man. Other people say it can't be. And listen. I really respect their uh, you know, opinion to be wrong. If that's what they want. The first time that I find him mentioned in the Bible is in Luke, the, the uh, excuse me, in Mark chapter number 10. And he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible says a rich man comes and he kneels at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is teaching. And he says, good master, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said unto him, oh, nobody's good but the one. And then he says, but go and, and sell whatever you got. And give it to the poor and come and pick up your cross and follow me. And the word of God says that the rich man went away grieved because he had great possessions. And probably it should be read because his great possessions had him. Secondly, we see this, this, this rich young man in, in Luke chapter number 12. And the Bible says that the, the fields and vineyards of a, a rich young man, that they brought forth such a, a great crop that he didn't have room to, to store all of them. And, and so he's laying in bed at night and he's contemplating, what am I going to do? I can't, I can't let the, the vines spoil. I can't let the crop rot in the field. I've got to pull down my barns. I've got to build bigger barns. And then I'll put the harvest in there. And when I'm old, <laughs> we're all going to live to be 85 or older. And when I'm old, I'll say unto my soul, soul, take thy ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And yet the word of God says that night, the angel of God knocked upon his heart's door and said, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of but wait a minute, spiritual tragedies are not just for a moment. Spiritual tragedies have eternal consequences. And in Luke, the 16th chapter, we read this. The rich man died. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. He seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, oh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water. And come and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this blood. Eternal consequences. I talked to a man recently. I said, are you saved? He says, preacher, I've heard so much preaching nowadays. I don't think anybody's saved. And I don't think anybody knows how to be saved. I said, well, have you read the Bible? It makes it very plain. 
regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you've been involved in. The Word of God says that if you want to be saved, you're not saved by joining a church. You're not saved by having ecclesiastical emotional experiences. You're not saved by having great worship services. You are not saved because you've been baptized. You are saved according to the Word of God, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, because you have accepted Jesus Christ and His resurrection, that you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. And because you have placed your faith in Him, you confess Him as Lord and Savior of your life. And that's the only way anyone is ever saved. Preacher, have you got any more scripture? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. The Bible says, for by grace, God's gift at Christ's expense. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of you. You don't go home and turn over a new leaf. You don't go home and try harder. It's not in you. Not of works, least any man should boast. Oh, the grace of God. So real. So available that he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can be saved this morning. The Holy Spirit of God speaks to your heart. And you can be saved for eternity. But understand, not everybody will. I wish that everybody I witnessed who got saved, don't you? But I have far more rejections than I do acceptance. And here's the story. Spiritual tragedies have eternal consequences. And one day those people will stand at the great white throne judgment of Revelation chapter number 20. And death and hell are gathered up. And all of the dead that were in the sea. And all of the dead in death and hell. And they stand before the great white throne judgment of God. And by the way, he knows your heart. John 2.25. He knows everything you've ever done. He knows every lie you've ever told. Every cuss word you've ever uttered. He knows. And you stand before him. And they search the book. The Lamb's book of life. And they cannot find your name. And in your defense, you cry, nobody ever told me. Nobody, no, it's not me, it's not my fault. And the word of God cries out, Bill Jenkins, yes, Lord. He said, nobody ever told him. Did you tell him? Yes, Lord. I preached the truth and he heard and he could have accepted but he rejected. Take him. Cast him into the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. This is the second death. Spiritual tragedies have eternal consequences. Bow your heads with me please. I know the majority of the people that are in this building this morning would say that they are saved. They know they're on their way to heaven. And my message to you has been very clear. Be careful. 
every born-again child of God is going to face temptation. In fact, God's got it planned that way. He said, blessed is the man that endures the temptation. But oh, dear friend, don't be led astray. Don't let the lust of this world entice you to leaving God. Many of you in this building right now, and you know who you are, the Holy Spirit of God has already spoke to your heart. As soon as this invitation starts, you need to run to this altar and you need to begin to pray, God, give me strength. God, get me back to where I once was. God, forgive me for what I've already done. Oh, God, cleanse me. You need to do that as a child of God. You need to repent. Missed you all. Likewise, perish. But there are some here today and you know you're not saved. You didn't need this old preacher to tell you that. John 6, the word of God says the Father draws you. And the Holy Spirit of God has already spoke to your heart this morning. And you know that if you were to die this very moment, you'd bust hell wide open. Baptismal certificate in your hand, church membership in your hand. Yet in your heart, in your heart, you have never believed God. You've never trusted in Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And this morning, this morning, you've got a chance. You have one more opportunity to receive the love of God. Will you? Will you? Or will you be a spiritual tragedy? Turning and walking out the door. Waiting on the eternal consequences that you know will follow. For the word of God is true. What do you need this morning? With their heads bound, please, and our eyes closed, I want to pray for us. Father, thank you for the privilege and the honor of coming and standing before these, your people. God, speak to our heart. Our world desperately needs light and salt. But God, if we've compromised, if we've been led astray by the things of this world, if we've lusted after those things to the extent that we are no longer in the center of your will, walking with you, God, forgive us. Draw, fill this altar this morning with God's people who will cry out and say, God, I want more of you. I want to be closer to you, God, than I've ever been before. God, I want to be light. I want to be salt. God, forgive me for not giving you the preeminence in my life. And oh, dear God, this morning there are people who need to be saved. Every head's bowed, please. Every eye's closed. No one's moving around. No one's looking around. Dear friend, if you're here this morning, you say, Brother Bill, please pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure that if I were to die this very moment, I'd go to heaven. Would you please just pray for me? Nobody's looking around. I want you to just simply raise your hand. Raise it up and then put it right back down. I'll see it. 
Thank you, thank you. God bless you. Look at this. All over the house. God bless you. Spiritual, spiritual battles going on this morning. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Spiritual battles going on. Anyone else before we pray? Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. Anyone else? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you back there. Someone else before we pray. God bless you, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father God, in Jesus' name, with all that's within me, please send your Holy Spirit to draw everyone who has just raised their hand. Don't let a one of them turn aside. Your word says that if you'll not profess me before men, I'll not profess you before the Father which is in heaven. And this morning they have an opportunity. They can get up out of that chair. They can come to this altar. They can profess you as Lord and Savior of their life. They can invite you into their heart. They can be saved today. Father, let it be so. Thank you again for viewing this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can also call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email to info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life Live this Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.